Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The 2020 draft might be in the history books, but we're still picking it apart. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. We've let the dust settle on this year's picks, and while teams are having to work remotely to get their new picks settled, we'll talk about some players who might have an impact right away. Indeed, we'll be hearing who has set themselves for success, who really had a shocker, and I think we'll be disagreeing along the way. Oh, I'd certainly like to think so. We've drafted in a couple of guests to share their thoughts on who did great and who to berate. Yes, we're joined by a couple of returning guests from the Turn Up For What podcast. Please welcome Ewan Dustaquois and from the Scottish Sun, Colin Lament. Welcome, gents. So let's get straight to it. Let's talk about your teams, first of all, guys, which are the 49ers and the Texans. Ewan, first of all, what did you make of the Texans? Not only the draft, but what happened before the draft? Yeah, I think it's, it's been much played and uh, across the media. And O'Brien's the pantomime villain. I think that you know people like to find one. So, yeah, I think I mean as, as counterintuitive as it may seem, there just wasn't a trade market for a top three wide receiver, um, and that's just the fact that we found out on on draft weekend. Baltimore had pulled out. Um, you know, the Eagles bef- before that had pulled out as well um, of a deal to trade for Hopkins be- because they weren't willing to meet his contract demands. They found a team that were in Arizona. Uh, a bit of an odd devaluation of David Johnson, I think, from from the outside looking in. But I assume they've got a role carved out for him. So, but based on that, it was obviously disappointing to see, you know, a kind of franchise piece go for that level of of uh, capital in the draft. But ultimately, there's a trend moving away from that, and everybody wants to emulate the winners. And the Chiefs got to the Super Bowl by speed. So, speed is what the league is trending towards, and that's exactly what the Texans have done, bringing in Brandon Cooks. Um, you know, and I think much maligned by the media and by analytics, I suppose, as well, because you see that in the bookies' odds right now, um, the lowest I can remember in a number of years. So, yeah, like nobody's nobody's expecting anything from the team um, just this year. But, you know, there's there's a, a new group of players um, to develop around Deshaun Watson, and that's who it's all about, ultimately, nobody else. Um, so, yeah, no, I think, it's, I think it was, you know, it was one of those drafts that nobody was expecting anything off either because there was a move to bring in quality established talent um, like Laramie Tunsil, who, you know, if we'd have held at the, the 26 position, there was only one tackle left on the board. So um, just similarly, if we'd have held at the 57 without trading that to the Rams for Brandon Cooks, you know, there was only really Denzel Mims and Justin Jefferson left. So overall, I think we were quite lucky to get Ross Blacklock, a big twitched up guy who can probably play uh, on the nose as well as uh, as a defensive end in an odd front. Um, he's got the ability to to rush the passer up the middle, which is, you know, found money in the league these days. And there's not many players that can can do it so if he can come in and be consistent in the trenches and press the pocket for us then you know that's going to be a huge benefit to this defense and and then picking up Jonathan Greenard as well as a guy I really liked out of Florida um, versatile guy transferred from Louisville really found his place under Dan Mullen um, for the Gators and was able to then kind of develop into you know sort of a player who's got a real knack for the ball and as odd as that may seem he finds the ball when he creates turnovers so high production guy and then you know as it gets after the fourth you know the fourth round uh, we pick up Charlie Heck a tackle from North Carolina um, probably come and be a, a swing tackle it uh, doesn't look like he'll be anything else in that but it's a great position to have depth at. and then John Reed as well from Penn State he's an O'Brien scholarship offer from when he was he was at the college there um, in Pennsylvania so he comes in with a known background computer science major um, a limited class but I think what the whole class has in common is that that they've got a real uh, understanding of what it takes to be a pro in a year, which I'm sure we'll probably come on to, is not going to be a level playing field for any of these rookies. 
Yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult as well. I mean, the other thing, you and before we come to Colin, that I mean, you are building on a ten and six season. So, I mean, it, it's not like it's a disaster. Yeah, it's a ten and six, and I think people forget that we, we you know, we rested all the starters in, in week seventeen, and that wouldn't let Tennessee get into the playoffs. So, you know, it could easily been eleven, um, eleven the year before. Um, ironically, the league's now taken out the second seed that we seem to miss out on every year mostly through fault of our own. Um, now we've not got that to fall, fall back on. So, look, I think this team's probably another Saturday wildcard type team and it's just about who gets hot at the end of the season. But yeah, it just feels like that they've been written off and, and you can see that. And I, again, we'll probably come on to the jump ahead in the uh, in the primetime slots and, and the fixture kickoffs, you know, and I think, you know, 30, minimum of 13, 12 noon kickoffs. Great for us over here watching it, but um, you want your team to be on prime time and a player like Deshaun deserves to be. But yeah, look, at I think, and the AFC South as a whole has been sort of snubbed in that sense. So, you know, let's fly under the radar. I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'm just wondering if the AFC South have burned a few broadcasters in the last couple of years with things not quite working out. But we'll, we'll come back to that, as you say. And Colin, in terms of San Francisco, obviously, you know, you're you know, a step away from winning the whole thing. It was a chance to try and build again without having to, to shuffle around and look for, you know, areas of desperate need. Sometimes you can look for the better players. And Javon Kinlaw was, was the first guy that came your way. Um, you also got another first round pick with Brandon Ayuk. Happy enough with those choices? Yeah, I was very happy with the draft overall. We had hardly any picks. And I think pre-draft... Um, a lot of what we had to do was dictated by off-season moves. For example, not speaking wasn't one of the top receivers in the NFL, but we had quite a young wide receiver room, and I think he had a huge Colin, Colin, can I just stop you there a sec? Because it's breaking up for you. Sorry, is that any better now? Uh, give it a sec. There's a sort of bing, bing, bing. Oh, no. That's okay. You you take your time. I think that's it. No, it's backing it. Try again. Is it working now? Yeah, that's it. That's it working now. So um, basically, if you just want to pick up from the start of your answer. So I said, you know, I think you start saying you were happy enough for your draft and we'll just go from there. Cool. All right. I'll just start on a second. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I was happy enough with a draft. I think it was quite a strange one because we had hardly any picks. And it was also dictated by some off-season moves. For example, not re-signing Emmanuel Sanders, who was an important part of the team in the run to the Super Bowl. I think he was the only sort of veteran wide receiver we had. So to lose him, I think, will hurt us. But again, it's all about the salary cap. And if you want to be a good team, it's something you have to manage, which obviously played a part in trading DeForest Buckner as well, which personally, I was gutted about. I loved him. But... It is a weird situation for a team that reached the Super Bowl to have a top 15 pick. So we did have to make sure we used that wisely. And I think it was a toss-up between a wide receiver and a defensive tackle in the first round. And we ended up getting both. So overall, I'm, I'm pretty chuffed. I think Kinlaw looks NFL-ready straight out of the gate. Um, I think some of the analysis of him suggests that he was a bit inconsistent. But hopefully working in that room with a defensive line of the 49ers alongside Eric Armstead who just got a massive contract Nick Bosa who obviously set the league alight in his rookie year um, you would think working with folk like that that he will improve quite quickly and get a lot of one-on-one -on -one opportunities 
also think that Ayuk in the first round, really talented wide receiver, maybe a little bit raw, but hopefully working with Debo Samuel, who I think were quite similar in skill sets. He could hopefully show him the ropes and have an impact quite early on because we certainly need it. I think later in the draft, it was a weird one because we, we didn't really have any glaring needs. So I know we took Charlie Warner at tight end out of Georgia in the late rounds and he hardly ever caught a pass in college. I think it was literally two passes or something he caught in his entire collegiate career in Athens. But one of the things people forget was George Kittle for everybody that says he's one of the best tight ends in the NFL, which I think he's the best. And some of the key plays throughout the season, he was actually standing and blocking. You know, when we needed a catch most, when we needed a big play, he was having to stand in there and protect the QB because basically our offensive line weren't getting the job done. So hopefully this guy's a blocker will allow George Kittle to just exclusively be a pass catcher when it has to be. Um, and of course, I can't forget about the other big move. Um, sadly, Joe Staley retiring. Yeah. But we did manage to get Trent Williams in, which it's a very, very rare situation, I think, where you replace one Pro, pro Bowl left tackle with another. So hopefully we don't miss a step there. I think that was a huge move. Whether or not you can consider that a draft pick, I guess, I don't know. But we didn't really trade too much for him. And I think the value, if he comes back half as good as he was prior to um, his... I don't really know what went on with the Redskins, but obviously there was quite a lot of drama there. Half as good, we've got an elite offensive tackle coming straight in out the gate. Well, I promise the Saints will look after Emmanuel Sanders for you. We're very grateful to have him down Louisiana way. Interesting that you talk about the draft and not having a lot of picks. Some people don't get the sort of closed shop nature of the NFL. It's always the same 32 teams. There's no relegation. Some people don't get the joy of the draft and the salary cap. And the business side to football calling is just so important. And your front office, when it was constructed, you know, coming straight from television and all this sort of thing, they weren't sure about John Lynch. But he's done a heck of a job for you. Oh, yeah, I think John Lynch has done a magnificent job. Uh, one thing I would say is if you look at his very first draft, uh, we took Ruben Foster, we took Solomon Thomas third overall. Um, it really wasn't great, and a lot of people thought, you know, this isn't a great sign, but for whatever reason, we appear to have hit on a, late, a lot of late-round draft picks. We got George Kittle in the fifth round. Um, we have uh, Dre Greenlaw, the man who basically ended the crucial Seahawks game to get us the NFC Championship. Um he, sorry, NFC, the NFC West Division, he was a fifth-round pick as well. So we seem to hit, hit on the late-round picks. Obviously, that's down to scouting. We have Adam Peters in our front office, who is really well-respected. Martin Mayhew, who's been a GM before. So I'm not sure who the credit goes to, but certainly Lynch, he says all the right things. And the nice thing is that him and Shanahan seem to really get on and be a proper team, because we see all the time throughout the NFL, a lot of GMs and head coaches don't seem to be the best of pals. Well, it's not the case in Houston. You and I mean, Bill O'Brien really likes himself. <laughs> I heard he gave himself a great, a great personal review this year. Uh, I thought it was interesting, just a side note on the broadcast, when we saw his uh, infamous temper uh, make it onto ESPN. That was quite interesting. I think that the reportedly the Lions pulled out a trade uh, late on when they were on the clock. Um, it's just a small window into the world that is Bill. But, uh, but no, I think it was, it's, yeah, I mean, you're just talking about you know, trading for uh, for Trent Williams there. I mean, obviously there's a concern, isn't there, that he's the whole reason why this fallout started with the Redskins was, I think it was over two years ago now, that he 
was docked money because of knee problems. Um, he's not played for a year, so it seems like a good price, and it could be a phenomenal pick up that. But whether he comes back if it, uh, having a full year out, um, when he's healthy, you know, top three tackle without a doubt, but he's not been healthy for a good two or three years. No, that's true. That, that is true, gents. Now, coming out of the draft, in terms of the worst draft, it's always difficult because you get that sort of snap judgment. And the snap judgment was that the Green Bay Packers had stuffed it up royally. You know, a couple of weeks away from the draft and having a chance to look at it again, I'm just wondering if we were hard enough on the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> <laughs> the draft grades are funny, aren't they? I mean, whatever you read, just take it a pinch of salt. And I mean... I think when when you read media draft grades, they're graded in a vacuum. It doesn't take into account personal character that these teams have extensive files on. It doesn't take into account, you know, off-field issues that might be going on that, you know, the, the head of security in your build's found out. And the biggest thing is scheme fit and what the position coach and what the coordinator wants. And actually, you know, a lot of the times in college, they've not been asked to do the things that they will be asked to do at the next level. So, yeah, I always think when you see draft grades, don't pay the bit much, you know, the least bit of attention to them. But that being said, I think my favourite tweet from the weekend was, or that weekend, it seems a while ago now, was Green Bay in reference to their draft. And he said, when you just know your team's on the cusp, when you're just a backup tight end, a fullback and a backup quarterback away from winning, you know, and I thought that just kind of sums it up, really. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it must have been a gut punch. And I think you've got to, I think the biggest thing that they'll have to deal with, and Matt Lafleur is still only a second year coach that going into this year, is he's got one of the most, you know, infamous personalities to deal with and potential backlash and how that might that might impact them on and off the field. Yeah, I mean, Colin, to be fair, it said that Aaron Rodgers once fell out with his reflection. Um <laughs> So, you know, these things do happen. But you makes a great point. No team goes out to draft badly. Every team goes out with needs and every team will then argue that they've done the job. So, you know, if Jordan Love turns out to be one of the best quarterbacks going, you know, they've done a great job there. You know, they're casting doubt about A.J. Dillon taking a running back that early. It is difficult because at the end of the day, this is a business like any other. You have one bad, you have a really bad draft. You could be out of job. You get two bad drafts. You're definitely out of job. So it it is hard. And as you say, you've got to wait and see how these players fit in. No, totally, yeah. And the, the quarterback, the quarterback pick was interesting for a few reasons. I think we all remember the Patriots a few years ago. Maybe they thought Tom Brady was going to be finished sooner than he actually was. They ended up with Jimmy Garoppolo. Patriots fans like Jimmy Garoppolo. He's now on the 49ers. They had um, Brissett, who, again, decent quarterback, looked pretty good. But Tom Brady outlasted both of them. So I'm not sure how much longer they think Rodgers is going to play at a high level. But can we really say for sure, it's, you know, he can't play for another four or five years? In which case, you're almost hoping that the new QB does get a few games in the bag in case they have to trade him in future. Because I don't know about you guys, but I don't see Rodgers suddenly just, you know, declining so drastically in the next couple of years. Yeah, I don't think he's about to fall off a cliff, but I thought, I think it would have been a better second round pick if they could have gotten for that. I actually wanted the Saints to take Love. I thought he would have been a much better uh, pick for us. I know yeah. we had to go elsewhere, but I was quite happy. And, and as a result of them not doing so, uh, we've got Crab Legs himself in the building, which which isn't thrilling me greatly. I mean, you and who else? You know, do you, you know? Do you immediately look around your division? Is that the first place you go to look to see what what your rivals have done? 
Yeah, I think you do sort of automatically, don't you, really? I think it was interesting was um, the, the point there, Paul, in terms of, of uh, Ruiz at centre. What did you think of him in terms of that? I thought, I thought everybody looked like it was going to be Patrick Queen. Um, I think that was who they were rumoured to be enamoured with. But then you get a centre and then you, you get, say, you know, 10 plus million on the cap, letting Larry Warford go. I'm just wondering if that was, and, and you've seen this as well, and so is Colin, it's this, um, you know, it's almost like you talk up a particular player and you're hoping not to draw attention to someone. Mm. I'm kind of hoping that was their thinking. Yeah, interesting. I think one thing I would say about the Green Bay uh, draft is Jonathan Garvin in the seventh round was actually a good pick, and good value for that. But uh, bar that, I think it's difficult to to see to see where they've gone. I think in the division, like yesterday, Paul, I think, yeah, you got to you got to hand it to the Colts. I think, um, you know, I think Ballard gets a lot of media praise. It's interesting actually. The GMs that get media praise, everybody you speak to seems to have a higher perception of them. Because if you think of Green Bay with uh, Brian Brian uh, Brian um, and they're easy for me to say. Um, <laughs> he um, you know he he got absolutely universally panned for their draft. Whereas Howie Roseman's a guy who you know has the media fawning over, and they take you know, a quarterback reasonably high um, in Jalen Hurts. So, you know, which didn't really seem to get the same uh, level of level of kind of criticism. But obviously, there is a difference there, trading up in the first, the, the 26 overall and taking somebody, you know, in the, in the in the sort of, on the day two. So, yeah, it's interesting. But I think, the, as I said, the Colts and Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor are two pieces that, that could come in. Um, Julian Blackman as well was interesting. And I thought a guy like Danny Pinter, a guard from Ball State, as obscure as that may sound, again, a guy who kind of seen a fair bit about, read a bit about, and actually thinks, you know, it could be some good depth. Um, I think teams this year, particularly the Jags is a great example, um, just as Minnesota and Miami, but teams who are willing to take on this many draft picks this year, I think is a risk uh, big time, um, you know, for the Jags because, you know, they took on a huge amount of picks um, and how you indoctrinate guys who are trying to make the biggest sort of physical and mental development of their career at a time where they can't actually do anything that would help them do that apart from, you know, the sort of some mental aspect, but you've got to sort of process the mental and then put it into, in, you know, onto the onto the practice field. It's going to be tough for these guys, guys to do it. And I think it's... Uh, it's a concern. So there's, you know, there's. I don't think there was any player that landed apart from maybe Jonathan Taylor because I think he suits the coach running style behind that line. I think he's he was you know most regarded probably as the best sort of power runner um, and the sort of gap blocking scheme that they run there. So you know the Quentin Nelson um, and the guys in tow. So yeah, I think that's probably a concern. I wouldn't want to be going up against him. I think he's a he's a powerful runner there. But yeah, overall, I think you know C.J. Henderson at, um, at ninth overall that was great value uh, if you wanted to put some money on. It, um, and a very Jags like pick, you know, but there's a reason why you know teams like Jacksonville pick regularly. Uh, at <laughs> yeah, that, that's the point I was going to make. I mean, are, are we just a little bit fed up about you know the dawn of the Jacksonville Jaguars? It's almost you know, like you know, it's Brigadoon, we'll see it once in a hundred years, and that's probably about it. Um, uh, Colin, in terms of you know, you know, teams like Seattle. I guess you're always watching to see what they're going to do in in your division, and just to see how teams are going to grow. Any any of the teams concern you with what they've done? It would be the Cardinals. I think Arizona are the team that I'm really looking forward to watching uh, this season. I think, firstly, you know, we already alluded to the trade for DeAndre Hopkins, who, according to some, I suppose you could say Michael Thomas as well, but right up there is the best wide receiver in the game. 
to get him and pair him with Larry Fitzgerald, who's still playing at a pretty high level, Christian Kirk, really, really impressive talents. And I really liked their first-round pick. I don't think anyone expected Isaiah Simmons to fall to that spot. He's sort of one of those genetic freaks, just looks like he's been designed in a lab, sort of. This year's Derwin James, I would say, in terms of how, how versatile he is. He could play in a linebacker position, any of them. You could play him at safety, either spots. He's played corner for Clemson. I think the defensive staff there have said that he's going to play a linebacker, but he's a total chess piece. You can move, move all over the place. And personally, I think the matchups against the 49ers, and particularly against George Kittle, Simmons on Kittle will be fascinating to watch. Um, the Seahawks always make really random draft picks. They seem to trade down about 30 times in each draft and then take someone you don't expect. Jordan Brooks, by all accounts, seems like a very good linebacker, but I'm not sure that that is quite as needed as other positions. And I don't really know how that's going to help them win straight away. I think it will be the usual tactic of put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands, try and run the ball where possible. But really, the Seahawks are still going to win a few games every year on the basis of Russell Wilson as magic. <laughs> that's all there is to it and in my eyes he's arguably after Mahomes the best quarterback in the NFL I, I really really rate him and Rams again an example probably of how not to um, spend your salary cap and draft picks obviously they don't have a lot of picks I could be completely wrong and maybe we'll bounce back and play to a high standard like we did in their Super Bowl appearance but I think last year was possibly a sign of things to come we've lost a number of guys Jared Goff seemed to regress so I'm fascinated to see how they bounce back as well because Sean McVay hasn't lost his coaching ability overnight and neither have all their players. So I think it'll be a really competitive division, but Cardinals, they're the team for me that's improved just unbelievably. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them there. I also acknowledge the, the trigger phrase that, that you came out with there, and that was LA Rams and Super Bowl. I've, I'm trying to wean myself off answering <laughs> answering that. In terms of good drafts, just before, I, w- I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about how we think the, the rookie class is going to do in these COVID-19 times. I also want to talk just a, a little bit about how you felt the draft was, but I think we'll just give a nod to a couple of teams that have, have reputedly done the best. I mean, the Vikings had 16 draft picks, uh, apparently picked well. I was impressed with the Ravens, but the one unit that surprised me, um, you know, looking up in, in Texas way, the Dallas Cowboys, again on paper, appear to have drafted quite well. Yeah, it's interesting when you when 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 you see guys. I think I was listening to this the other day actually, and they talk about these players that in the very commas have fallen, you know, and no more so than a lot of the sort of lighter framed edge rather edge rushers this year. Um, obviously, you saw you saw the Saints pick one up, Paul, um, yeah. with with their second pick of the, of the draft. But um, but yeah, Dallas. I think yeah, interesting. I th- I think in terms of like value picks in the first round, where you thought somebody looked like out of kilter with the the slate um, that you saw, you know, in most consensus it was C D Lamb. I think it wasn't a need for them, but they just felt they couldn't pass up. So. Absolutely. Um, Diggs from Alabama, I'm not a player I'm convinced, but I think if you watch him on tape, there's a bit missing there, uh, whether it's effort, uh, whether it's mental focus, I'm not too sure, but he seems to go missing on tape, I think, and you see that, you saw that last year with some of his, um, some of his tape, but I think two players that I really liked was uh, 
It was Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma. I think he's a great, a great pickup. I think big physical defensive tackle. They've not really had anywhere in there to try, you know, to complement the guys they've got on the edge. So, um, you know, definitely, I think you know Jerry will be delighted. I think the guy who 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 keeps the madhouse at bay, Will McClay, I think starting to get a bit more notoriety every year, but uh, infamously talked Jerry out of drafting Johnny Manziel and, and many others. Um, and uh, the list of quarterbacks that Jerry's angs for, Paxton Lynch, uh, Connor Cook and all these guys, you know, I think Will McClay holds that place together. So I think he's done a good job. And a guy like Tyler Badass uh, from Wisconsin in the fourth round as well, great, great player. Um, I think he's potentially, you know, a, a replacement, you know, probably year one uh, for Travis Frederick retiring. So, yeah, I think overall, you I mean, you know, like the big market teams, like, you know, are not big market, but the big favourite teams in the media kind of get up. And, you know, the, Eric DaCosta comes in at the Ravens, doesn't miss a beat, and he just takes, you know, player after player after player that's just solid uh, football players, I think. And when you look at that on paper, I think Baltimore, I think definitely it seems like they're just adding strength to strength. But I think one thing we're probably missed off, actually, is, Obviously, Carson Wentz might have been upset. Aaron Rodgers might have been upset. But is Lamar Jackson upset they took a running back in the second round with the 55th overall? Quite possibly 110 designed runs. That might be getting cut into a bit this year. <laughs> Certainly possible. So, Colin, I don't know. What did you make of the draft on television? It was always going to be a difficult TV event. Did you, did you feel it worked? I do, yeah. I think overall it was quite good fun. Like most times, the first round seems to be very dramatic. Hopefully some trades, people get excited. It's the time where most of the fans might have heard of some of the players as well, which helps. I also think the second and third day always drags in a little bit, particularly when the networks get a little bit behind with the picks and suddenly they're playing catch-up. But considering the circumstances, I thought we did a really good job. It was quite nice actually getting an insight into some of the GMs and some of the head coaches. You see them in their homes especially uh, Cliff Kingsbury's home, the the mansion, which was doing the rounds on Twitter. I think it gave a different element to it. And I think also the feedback so far from the head coaches, from the GMs and the personnel guys, they seem to quite like working from home. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some more of it in the years moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've been to the, the, the draft event you and you had an amazing time. Tennessee hosted an amazing draft. There, there was no comparison, but we understand why. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I think just as this whole situation is probably going to change most people's working lives um, and how, I mean, where and how they can work, um, you saw that in the draft. And, you know, night one was cagey, I think, with trades. It wasn't, it wasn't too many, but as people kind of grew into it, it started to look normal in terms of the volume of trades anyway. But, yeah, obviously disappointing not being able to go to, to Vegas this year. It was, you know, one that thought it might just top Nashville. I think Nashville's a, a you know a difficult place to to put on a show. Um, and probably the only place that it could do could have done that was Vegas. But you'll have a go to Cleveland um, and they'll do it their way and all the history is steeped on that and they'll be back in back in Las Vegas uh, the year after. So hopefully some of those plans you saw with, you know, the next to the Bellagio fountains and, and the kind of uh, kind of ride that the players are going from the media. Uh, aspect right through to getting picked I think they can relive that and you kind of feel a bit for some of these guys um, that you, they don't get their kind of day in the sun if you like I thought what we were saying Paul was funny that the off camera shots in the house when you could see the toes creeping out and just in camera shot and they quite blatantly had, uh, had more than the allotted 10 people that were allowed and probably three or four times that um, but yeah you didn't quite get the they've just heard about the pick sort of moment I don't think very well 
and they didn't quite get over the, the sort of backstories that didn't really have much you know, that to do with, you know, what kind of player he was. And I remember I went for a job interview once and they asked me, you know, what basically what was, did I have a sob story? You know, and you kind of think if you're one of these guys that's worked their whole life for this point and all of somebody can talk about, you know, your aunties, you know, used to be on drugs. You know, I just don't see how that, I, just, I think that would, you know, that would detract from the, the, the purpose and the point of all the, all those weights you've lifted and all, you know, all those hours you've put in doing the extra training. So, yeah, I think that detracted from it a bit. But what I think it did possibly was give a launch pad to what could be particularly um, important this year is they could run the supplemental draft this way um, in terms of that because with everything going on, that could be more more pertinent than ever. And there's talks of um, guy Travis Etienne who should have come out this year would have arguably been you know, the top one or two running backs if he had come out. Rumours that he might come out into into the supplemental draft over the summer, so um, you know that it may be a model that they can use uh, hereafter. Yeah, because basically the, the reason for the, the supplemental draft, uh, as we we've spoken about, is that we might not see a college season necessarily in the year ahead, so it might be beneficial for some of these guys to declare. Yeah, in Pac-12, you know, saying that California is looking like there be no live events till till Christmas or after. Um, predominantly, all those t- teams are on the West Coast. Um, you know, does that mean you know not only is there not going to be any fans in the West Coast, but it also does that mean that guys might transfer? Um, you know, and there's some big, big talent. The number one tackle, um, Panay, I believe it's pronounced, um, only just turned 20. Uh, would have been the number one left tackle at Oregon, an absolute stellar talent. You know, guys like that are going to have a lot to lose if they can't get another 13, 14 games on tape out there for for uh, for front offices to evaluate. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. Colin, the other, the other thing that's going to be interesting is if for the rookies that are in place and somebody like Jacksonville with 12 of them, you know, there isn't the chance to get that face-to-face time at the moment and start working out with coaches necessarily face-to-face. You know, we're, we're hearing, you know, people are in touch via Zoom and all that, but that's certainly not the same. It's going to be hard to, to assimilate into a team's culture. Yeah, definitely. I think for the rookies, there's no hiding. You're really going to have to put in the work. And that's where I guess you would hope that on the teams we are drafted to, that you'll have some really established veterans that are happy to, you know, give out their number, help them learn the playbook, really take them under their wing so that they have a little bit of, I wouldn't call it a head start because they're already behind the curve, but at least help them a little bit towards understanding what's ahead. Um, certainly last year, you know, we saw how big an impact rookies could have on teams across the league. And there's some incredibly talented guys that came in this year. And I'm just, I'll be so intrigued to see however this season looks, however it shapes up, will we have a lesser impact because we didn't have the preparation? I guess it will go to show how much talent is weighed up against preparation and scheming and understanding the game plan. Because some game plans in the league, you know, you look at the Patriots or from the 49ers perspective, everybody talks in the 49ers about the offense and how Shanahan basically makes it as complex as he can. I have no idea how our first-round uh, receiver, Ayuk, for example, I have no idea how he can learn all of that. Um, but it's a real challenge, and if he's able to, then hopefully that stands him in good stead for the rest of his career because the best players never stop learning. That's interesting. I've I've gone back to, because I'm kind of bored like everybody else, and gone back to the first series of Hard Knocks, which you may remember was the New York Jets. Now, it was quite rough compared to the sort of slick production we mm. saw last year. But what struck me is, 
and you and you mentioned this, some of the people that you bring into your building simply do not have what it takes because they're not willing to put in the work. I mean, there was one of the rookies, and I can't remember his name, basically wasn't ready for his rep and missed it. And then there was another rookie that basically was didn't even line up properly. You know, you've got to be able to put the work in. And I think we could see, you know, if you're not of strong character, I think this is going to be a tough, tough time for you. I think you can get away with it on defence. I think particularly, you know, if you play zone or, you know, you've got a certain assignment or, you know, designated pass rusher, you can come in and play a very specific role on a certain down and distance and potentially contribute. But I think on offence, I just don't think there's many hiding places. And in, in, in the National Football League, I always think it's easier to lose a game than it is to win one because all you need is, you know, a, a, a bad fumble on special teams or, you know, or, or, a, or a fumble by a running back or whatever it might be or an interception or, a, you know, or whatever it might be. Anyway, you can turn the ball over or miss an assignment, leave a receiver wide open for a touchdown. I think that's going to lose teams' games. So I think that the the, the spread um, of, 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 of talent in terms of teams this year could be so closely monitored because even Chase Young, right, he's going to have to get a full training camp. He's got no OTAs, he's got no rookie mini camp. So even who even a guy like him who was, you know, great production in college, the not even consensus, the undoubted number one pick in terms of pure talent. He's behind the curve. So how does a guy, you know, in the fifth, sixth round necessarily come in? And you know, and it makes me think like teams, you know, Denver were well lauded for their draft, but to pick up Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, you know, in the top forty six picks, when you've got a room like that with all rookies, you know, and not necessarily that many places to to lean on. But you can only lean on so much over Skype um, or Zoom or whatever it might be. And actually, if you're not out there taking the reps, you know, and to, 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 to go back to Hard Knocks, Paul, I remember Mike Vrabel when he's outside linebacker coach screaming in Jadavian Clowney's ear, you need a million of these, keep going, keep going, keep going when he was coming back from injury. You know, and that's a guy that's produced in the league albeit injury concerns isn't on with the team but that was a guy that had already been through rookie minute camp and even at that point coming back from injury there was doubt with how quickly he could tribute because there just wasn't the reps and you've got to think there's going to be some teams if you are relying on rookie contributions it's either not going to look very good or you're going to be in trouble yeah, I'm just wondering how many teams will use this as an excuse if they have a poor year let's jump now to the actual games but before you actually get on the field you and your stadium's got to be ready. You're you're going to have to come up with a plan of of even if it's a closed doors fixture, there's still an awful lot. But but you know staff in the building, medical staff, you know broadcast up. There's a lot that has to go on, and and I guess the NFL will be pretty fussy about how teams operate. Yeah, so every team by this tomorrow has got to uh, announce a plan to the NFL on exactly how, how they're going to make their working environment safe. I think probably what the NFL are going to have to get their head around and they, they held strong in the draft about it is some teams by geog- geography alone this year are going to have a competitive disadvantage whether that be no fans at their games which could be in California. We could argue there's too many teams in California already anyway um, but but I think for for the amount of people that live there that are actually interested. So I think, you know, they're or they're not going to be in their buildings. You know, I, I know a team that the Saints have had preseason it before. Uh, Paul, the Greenbrier, that's meant to be in hot demand right now. People are trying to find off-site locations out with their state if the if the you know the local government is locking it down to find a way to get to piece our training camp together, which is going to be difficult because there's not that many you know top top class facilities out with the college games. But if college teams can't open 
open because of health reasons, then they're not going to necessarily rent it out to a, a pro site. So you, you think, you know, overall, bar the green bar, there isn't a huge amount of off-site locations that people can necessarily move to, whether, you know, Dallas have, you know, often trained in California, but definitely won't happen this year. So, um, you know, I think it's, it, it's, it's going to be difficult. I know the Texans have looked to hire a head of hygiene uh, in the building to look after the look after the plan and you know I think ultimately you know you've, you've seen that in other sports Paul like in baseball um, and basketball they're talking about maybe moving the tournament to a Vegas or an Arizona somewhere with like desert like conditions um, you know to basically create a bubble and get all the players there and have a sort of March Madness kind of knockout round robin type way to finish the season so I think whatever happens it's going to be an absolute lottery this year and any sort of preconceptions of who's good and who's got good rookies, I think you might have to throw out the window because I don't know what it's going to mean too much. Yeah, Colin, I guess, I mean, if playing in front of empty stadiums was a good idea, the Chargers would have been better last year and Atlanta should have been winning an awful lot more as well. Can I take you to what Joe Buck of Fox Sports has said? He fully expects, and he said this today on Twitter and in an interview, that if there are no fans in the stadium, Fox will supplement with crowd noise for certain and they're looking at possibly you know vr type in into the stands you know creating virtual fans yeah it sounds like a strange a strange idea but i suppose you know the modern world it's pretty incredible we've already watched how it happened with the draft something that if you'd mentioned that a few years ago would have probably seemed impossible i'm not too sure on the ins and outs of that i know Certain teams have been accused of piping noise and stuff into a stadium, but actually to do it on a broadcast, it was quite interesting reading that interview. I know he was having a pop. I think he was accusing certain people of of misleading um, readers on Twitter about it, but it's just very, very interesting. And the idea of a stadium with no fans, it does sound very strange. I think there would have to be some sort of atmosphere on the TV for, for viewers to sort of imagine that it's the same as normal. Because if it's complete silence... Somewhat like some of the, you know, our football soccer games we watched behind closed doors just before um, lockdown really took hold, uh, the games in Europe. It was very, very strange just hearing every touch of a ball. I don't know if anyone watched the UFC every weekend, just hearing every punch and kick. I think a little bit of noise would go a long way to making it seem a little bit more normal. Yeah, I mean, I watched some of the the closed doors football, and I think as a novelty, it's fine. I don't think it can last. You know, it's nice to hear the players shout and things like that. I mean, you and I mean, I I don't imagine Joe Buck's going to be sitting beside the machine a la Escape to Victory, and he just turns up the crowd noise as he wants to to turn up. But are you against technology coming in in this way? No, I think. And technology, I think, is no. I think it's it's going to continue to to help you know everybody's lives as as you know the generations move forward, and it's it's it can replace a lot, you know. And you see that in different industries. But what I don't think you can replace is an alive event, um, whether that be music, you know, theatre or sport. Uh, that's something that will probably never die because it's unique in that sense. So, not against it, no, absolutely not. But I think the biggest issue with this is not whether there'll be people there or not. I think that may or may not happen by state. Certain states have got, you know, very different economies and the industries that make up their, you know, their, you know, their local economy. And a lot of them, you know, are heavily led by hospitality and employs a lot of people in America, a far greater percentage than it does here. Um, so that's a big part of it. So that there's a reason why there's the show must go on, but the biggest underlying reason 
and there's a, a clear sort of sign from the league that they're preparing for this, that each team this week was allowed to extend their amount they can put as debt get on their books by $150 million. So the league's preparing for this. But I think what's also having ramifications of, you look at Dak Prescott, and it's not signed his deal yet, Deshaun Watson's due to sign a deal, and then Mahomes will probably beat both of them out of the park, you know, probably in that order. But if teams don't have their their eight home games plus whatever in the playoffs, it's been estimated that's $100 million revenue. Now, when you've got a salary cap that's dictated on a percentage of the income, if suddenly $50 million's wiped off the cap, you know, in future years, or there'll be a way around it. But then all of a sudden, you know, if you're paying, you know, Russell Wilson 30, you know, the high 30 millions, if you're going to pay Mahomes, say 42, probably what it looks like is going to come in that contract. If there's if that money, you know, in itself and some is wiped off your cap, then all of a sudden you're in a terrible position as a team. Now, I think they'll probably find ways to to mitigate it with the new TV contracts and the cap won't rise as it, as it, sh- as it should do. Uh, but the league income is going to be down just as it will be in merchandise, which is split between 31 of the teams. Um, Dallas has their own for some reason. But um, but yeah, I mean, like the league revenues will be down and it will really hit them. Um in the pocket if there's no you know corporate and, and just regular tickets bought you know every Sunday it's going to be a big impact and could you know it could be felt for a number of years yeah because I mean a lot of these new stadiums Colin, are designed for high-end hospitality as well where the money really can be made uh, I, you know I, I was over a couple of years ago in New Orleans you know even just getting into the stadium you were you were jam-packed in you know social distancing would have been exceptionally difficult this there, there are so many angles to this but i think you and also mentioned it. i mean i treat america as 50 different countries you are going to see different you know red states blue states call it what you will but you know people have to understand they, these are 50 individual states with with their own little quirks and ways and you know economic conditions will dictate a lot of this here yeah, no, definitely. And I think the other thing was there were quite a few brand new stadiums that were due to be opened, obviously. We were still being opened, but probably going to be playing behind closed doors, which is a shame because we won't really get an idea of the atmosphere. Um, yeah. I guess certain stadiums, like you said, the Chargers, uh, <laughs> I don't know how many fans we are going to have. The fact that it's, you know, two, two, two teams in LA with a new stadium, who knows what that atmosphere would be like. But the Las Vegas Raiders, I was fascinated to know what that would be like over there. Is it going to be largely a, a tourist crowd? Are we going to have a proper devoted fan base? Will we become, you know, a loyal, really, really good sports? I don't know, but that, that's one of the things I was quite sad about. I was looking forward week one and two to seeing the grand opening of these big, beautiful stadiums. A few years ago, it was the Cowboys, Jerry's World. We all know how amazing that is. And I think the stadiums will continue to get better and better. And I, it's a shame, yeah, that we're not getting to see it all and it's, and it's full glory. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how many Oakland fans... And I mean, fans from Oakland will make that trip. I mean, it's not miles away, but I think we've seen that San Diego fans basically in large numbers abandoned their team when they went to LA. Presuming we make it to the field and we presuming we make week one, you uh, and you don't have long to wait. You're, you're in the opening game kickoff against Kansas City. Good thing, bad thing for you? It's, playing the first game of the season is difficult, you know, and it already a shortened off season. You've got what two and a half, three days less than you know thirty other teams to prepare for that first game, but it gives you a barometer of where you are early. You're most likely to be the healthiest at week one, um, you know. And I think that that matchup for me, I think the way our offense is built um, is designed to attack a, a defense like that. 
Um, so it could be quite a good, you know, high-scoring game to start off the season. But it's sink or swim, isn't it? Because if you get in, if you get embarrassed, then you know your season's on a, on a bad trajectory. And if we win, well, you know, we beat them there last year, last season. So you know, people say, oh, they can do it in the regular season. They need to be able to do it at the business end. So I I, I don't think there's much that can come out of it. But um, but certainly the start that Houston have been handed is is a tough one. Playing five playoff teams in the first seven um, is uh, is a tough is a tough stretch. So if we come out with that three wins, I think we'll be delighted. Yeah, it's quite brutal. I think you start to look at games, you think, wow, look at that. I mean, San Francisco don't have it easy. They are hosting Arizona, but that's going to be largely overshadowed, Colin, by the fact that Tampa Bay go to New Orleans. It's going to be Brady against Breeze. And it's it's very unusual for a team who were runner-up in the Super Bowl to almost be overshadowed on week one. I think it's fair enough in these circumstances. It's fascinating to watch Brady and Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay and obviously the Saints are a really good team as well. So whether or not the Buccaneers can be Super Bowl contenders immediately, I don't know. But it will give us an idea in week one, hopefully, just how good they will be. From a 49ers perspective, I think the game against the Cardinals will also be really good. I mentioned earlier that the Cardinals, for me, are really good now across yeah. the board. We have a quarterback on a rookie contract. So hopefully, from a Cardinals fan's point of view, for the next couple of years, they've not got a lot of money tied into Kyler Murray. I thought he looked really good last year. I think Murray was a little bit underrated. He did make some mistakes and he did run around a little bit too much and he was taking sacks he perhaps shouldn't have. But I think this is a guy who could end up having a Pro Bowl year. And I'm a bit worried playing them week one, to be completely honest. They played us very, very well last year. Almost beat us um, in Levi Stadium. That was a scary game. Uh, We were down on multiple scores. Jimmy G brought us back, thankfully. Uh, But... They scared me, yeah. And even in um, in Arizona, we started off the game there really well. They came back into it. I think the Cardinals are proper dark horses, and maybe by the second time we play them, they'll be even better. And I genuinely think they're NFC West contenders. It is going to be interesting. You do want to get off to the best possible start. Gents, two, two more things before we close this part. One is Monday Night Football, which has fascinated me for years. Now, ESPN get two games. Pittsburgh against New York, you can understand for the market size. Tennessee against Denver, to me, seems a very strange choice um, for for the second game. But the one thing we do know is that, that Booger McFarlane's not going to be back uh, with a Booger Mobile or in the box. They've had to blow up the Monday night football team again. To me, it was a season too late in doing so. It's It's hard when when teams or broadcasters get a reputation and ESPN at the moment are getting a bad reputation for the game coverage. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, I think I think you've touched on it before, Paul. So they've got a lot of great guys that do college football yeah. every Saturday um, and they're not, you know, out of talent. Interesting, Drew Brees has already got an early deal to, uh, to dive into the media after uh, a bit different to Philip Rivers, who's already signed up as a high school head coach in a year's time, so um, like a head coach in waiting, um, as it was described. So, um, so yeah, I th- yeah, I mean, it, look at Booger McFarlane. He's he's good for the game, and just his bad refereeing decisions are good. And we talked about this before, Paul. That you know, inadequacies and inaccuracies drive content, drive clicks, drive people, you know, taking it, taking the mech out of them. And, you know, and they like that, you know, and it's like, you know, okay, it's not perfect, but it's good for business. And I think that's, that's all, that's always the mantra. But yeah, I think there'll be plenty. There's, there's a huge raft of broadcasters uh, going to be in there. You got your application in, Paul? 
Well, I don't think I could do worse than some of them that have been there. <laughs> I mean, that's for sure. I think sometimes then you don't appreciate just how good certain people have been in terms of, you know, the commentators they've had, you know, in terms of the play-by-play. And then other times, I mean, they also have this this mysterious second game, uh, you know, which Chris Berman used to do. Beth Mowens, I think, did uh, for a couple of years, and I, I don't rate her. Steve Levy came in. I mean, he's rumoured to be one of the possibilities for for the main job as well. So it'd be interesting. But I mean, ESPN have always tried to do that a little bit different. You know, they had Tony Kornheiser in the booth for a while. They got rid of Ron Jaworski, who I actually thought was very, very good. Um, you know, Lewis Riddick is also pushing for it. He pushed for it the last time. Rex Ryan was in the number two booth in 2017 and proved unbelievably that he couldn't do, just was not a very good mix at all. Colin, do, do people like me tend to worry too much about the broadcasters? Can you tune them out and just watch the game? I think it varies person to person. I have you know, some friends who are fans that could quite easily watch a game on silent. I personally couldn't. I think the broadcasters bring a lot to the experience. I, I'm not sure who would be perfect to fit the bill right now. One thing I would find quite interesting, the college uh, broadcasters that ESPN already have on the books, I'm not sure if maybe they could cross over to the NFL I don't know how much you guys enjoy college football, but I always think the broadcasts are brilliant. I don't know why they're so different to the NFL or why I, I find them more entertaining, but I'd love to see some of the college guys give the NFL a go because I really think we could make it more entertaining, more vibrant and a lot more fun. But I'm not sure. It sounds strange, but college football is a big business, so I'm not sure how easy it would be to take them from that and move them over. Yes, is it Brad Nestler and Gary Danielson, I think, are the SEC uh, main guys? I mean, they've used Sean McDonough in the past and things like that. But you're right, you know, I mean, ESPN have got a high stable because they show so many of these games. They've just been unable to actually plug it together on on what is a really good uh, franchise. And they're also talking about ESPN perhaps going back to ABC again come next deal. So, They've, they've got to try and get it right at some point. Yeah, I think they'll lose a lot of leverage in their negotiation for it, uh, or they'll have to overpay potentially to get to get that prime time spot back. I think it's looking at the odds here. It's prime Greece. It's three to one. Uh, a guy who I'm not, not a massive fan of, Dan Arlovsky at five to one, and Lewis Riddick uh, at five to one as well. And then there's names like Hasselbeck Warner, and a guy who I always find quite interesting, but I couldn't imagine as a professional on TV's Pat McAfee. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of people to do it, isn't there? And uh, hopefully they get it right for their sake, because I think it is. It's like you know, it's the the jewel of the weekend, isn't it? Really, Monday night football, the whole nation's watching. Uh, it's the you know, the, if you speak to players, it's Sunday night football or Monday night football they want to be involved with. Um, and it does take a bit of a time to fact we're even talking about it. Yeah, you're gonna to have to break it to me gently. Did I make the list at all? I've only got the top 10 posh here. (laughs) (laughs) Probably floating around uh, 11 or 12. Yeah, Steve Levy, Dave Pash, I I both like for ESPN. Um, You know, Dave O'Brien, much underrated as well. We'll see. We'll see where it comes through. I mean, Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner off the radio, if they want a safe pair of hands, they do, I think, Monday Night Radio. They'd be a safe pair of hands for me. Gentlemen, Almost time to go. Just a, a, a quick one. Uh, the LA Rams brought out the new uniforms this week. That's now six teams with new uniforms. Uh, any thoughts on... Well, I, I think I'm going to call them the LA Trumps because of their logo anyway. Um, but what did you make of the new look LA Rams? 
It was bone a colour. That's why I, I found that out today. I've checked on the Dulux website. Bone does not register as a colour, but apparently they've created one. Um, so that'll be interesting. I think that I mean potentially it uh, it reminded them of the uh, the colour of the empty the emptiness in the Colosseum that they've been playing with a lot of the time. So um, yeah, I don't know. You know, a great actually solution to that I think um, of not being able to play them in California. Get them back to St Louis where they're meant to play. Uh, and that state is completely unaffected. So move them back, give the fans a season. Not that I think they take them back. Um, but yeah, I think when you're in LA, you're trying to make a splash. But the problem is, it's a basketball, it's a college football USC town. You know, people aren't interested, and in, maybe in the Rams, but they're certainly not interested in the Chargers, are they? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, interesting, Colin. I mean, the LA Times, the headline is Rams new uniforms don't fit with iconic brand. Forbes has come out and said Los Angeles Rams finally released puzzling new uniforms. When your team wears something awful, I mean, it doesn't mean you support them any less, but it might mean that uh, you might not be nipping to the shop to get the replica jersey quite so quickly. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, strangely, fans do take a lot of pride in their own on their own merch and their own jerseys. For example, some of the new jerseys this year, which I think look fantastic, are the Chargers. Now, the Chargers, I think their jerseys always look fantastic, just great colours, just just brilliant. You know, the, the sort of powder blue is just beautiful. But people are proud of the fact that they have the nicest jerseys in the NFL. And I think fans are genuinely gutted when they have to wear their colours and we know that everyone's looking at them thinking, that looks horrible. So... Yeah, I think it does matter. Um, how much it affects sales, I'm not sure. It was interesting looking at the UK sales for jerseys. I think uh, Tua Tagliova is the top-selling jersey right now in uh, the UK, which I found quite interesting. And obviously Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, who have their own new jerseys, um, yeah. he's quite high up there as well. And the Buccaneers jersey is quite similar to what it always is, I think. I'd, from what I had seen, I don't think it looks drastically different, but... Certainly the Rams, I'm, I'm afraid I can't get on board with that one at all. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think it's the LAIKEA, as Cameron <laughs> decided to call them. Well, it was great to have the guys along. Some good stuff there, Cameron. You had to disappear, unfortunately, but you're back with us now. Yeah, gutted to miss that. But listening back, really, really fascinating content from the guys. Do you know what? They know their stuff. Uh, and that's I always love hearing from the two of them. And I think they're people that we'll be hearing from again. Uh, really interesting as well that you covered a couple of the news items there as well. Uh, those Rams jerseys, I think they're absolutely boofing. Um Any other news items, though, Paul, tickling your fancy? Well, I think we've got to talk about, you know, the potential armed robbery <laughs> that was what's going on. What a story that is. I mean, you came across about that and tweeted it. Yeah, I, I spotted it this morning. So I saw a couple of people talking about it. Um, and it was it was when I went back and looked at it. I looked at the, the Seahawks Twitter and saw that they would posted a video about uh, Dunbar. So I went on. Uh, thinking, all right, well, this will be an update on what's been going on there. And it wasn't. It was a, a, a sort of press conference of announcing him as obviously a player they've traded for during the offseason. Um, and then I was like, hang on a minute, these things don't correlate. So when I looked at the timeline, I saw that they'd posted that the night before. And then literally six or seven hours later, the warrant was issued for his arrest. So it's, it's, it's a truly bizarre story. And when you go and look at it as well, even the amounts of money, like, you know, one of the guys had a signing bonus of $5.6 million. And this apparently, allegedly, and let's be sure here, there's a warrant for arrest. This is all very much allegedly. Allegedly stole 61 grand's worth of jewellery. 
And it's like, what are you doing? What is this? You know, and again, very much allegedly. But DeAndre Baker for the Giants, Quinton Dunbar for the Seahawks. Um, and obviously weren't out for arrest. The the NFL, as we record, have declined to comment and have said that they're aware of it. But and to be honest, it's been quite quiet for the off season. I think with everybody being locked inside for the most part, it's been quite quiet. It will be interesting to see if uh, some of the stories start ramping up now that uh, people in certain states are starting to have a bit more freedom over there. To now it's freedom. They've got freedom, freedom to go outside without any kind of lockdown due to coronavirus. I have to be careful with this. <laughs> Lots of disclaimers. <laughs> this is quite incredible because it would only have to happen in Florida because everything weird <laughs> happens in Florida. Now, you know, I love Florida to absolute bits, but if you'd said to me, this is the story, where did it take place? Bang on the table, I would tell you it was Florida because, yep. you know, uh, they met two men, in a, you know, allegedly met two men in a party a couple of days previously in Miami, said to have lost 70 grand in gambling debts. Again, all all the caveats, all the allegedly, possibly, who knows. But interesting, NFL.com aren't running on, on their on their site at the moment. Um, it's, it's always interesting when a league declines to run a story that everybody else is touching so i found that quite interesting yes the one other thing that's happened today is the nfl uk have sent emails out to season ticket holders to let them know as a valued as a valued season ticket holder for the 2019 nfl games you retain your status when the london game series returns in 2021 so obviously we've had the news that there's not going to be any london games that's no major surprise to any of us let's be honest let's let's hope that some fans can get to the games at all I've already seen loads of people talking about going over there, people booking up travel and things like that. Let's hope that they're not wasted journeys, that they're able to get over there but not able to attend the games. But, um, you know, obviously it's an evolving story all the time, but good for the NFL UK to come out early with this and confirm what perhaps feels like a 101 for episode 101. But, you know, just to give confirmation that um, if you are a season ticket holder, you will retain that status and you'll have the opportunity to renew your season tickets when hopefully the NFL returns in 2021. Yeah, I had my holiday cancelled. I then got the news that the London games were cancelled. That's my two favourite trips of the year. Back-to-back cancellations. But, uh, yeah, it's been interesting to see that people have been talking about possibly going to the States. I mean, you and I, I think, are in agreement. We see closed-door games coming here. And as I touched on with the guys earlier, you know, the possibility of Fox, you know, doing the, the virtual reality crowd or, you know, the noise pumping into the stadium is certainly possible. But there are so many attractive games and you start to look well you know I could be there on the Thursday there on the Sunday there on the Monday you know you could have a real overdose and you know it's, it's not the cheapest thing in the world you know to go to London either and some people have been saying you know you know the time might be ready for a trip to the USA but Cameron's safety comes first and I think we'll know in a couple of months what's happening and I think people would be wise just to hold off booking. Although I I, I think, you know, some companies, uh, certainly the one we travelled in, are basically saying, look, if it doesn't go ahead, you get your money back. But so... You know, people are are trying their best here, and I think that's the way to do it. I, I mean, if you're if you're happy to put the money down uh, and book it all yourself, and ultimately have a holiday regardless, um, and maybe not get to the game, and you're happy with that, then you know, obviously go on. Um, but there are companies uh, that are out there, like Touchdown Trips, uh, who you can get in touch with. 
uh, and they will, you know, offer levels of protection here if things do get cancelled. So, you know, it is there is so much yet to unfold with this. You know, there's talk now of second waves and all these sorts of things. It's definitely a viable uh, option of empty stadiums is being looked at. There's no two ways about that. That is being considered for sport across the world. Um, and we just don't know how long that's going to continue. Obviously, we want to see people there. Certainly, a Super Bowl in a stadium with no fans would be a very unusual uh, you know, spectacle. Um, pumping noise in is something that's very interesting. It's been something that's been suggested and, you know, you've seen th- other things being put forward, cardboard cutouts, fans in the stands and things like that. Nice to see that they're trying to come up with something here and I'm all for them giving this a try. Let's give it a go and if that doesn't work and it's kind of a bit crap or a bit gimmicky, then stop doing it. Um, better to give it a go and do something than do nothing at all. So, Interesting to see how that works out. I think for us in the UK, um, and by the time that this has come out, you know, we'll have had the Bundesliga uh, returning. So that's some sport, uh, sort of a, a mainstream sport here in Scotland, certainly, that people will watch. It'll be interesting to see what that's like in stadiums with no fans, what happens there. Uh, and this will be the first of sports starting to return, we think, across the globe. We've obviously seen Korean uh, football and baseball has been happening for a couple of weeks now. So... Uh, things starting to reappear. Uh, and personally, uh, I'm quite pleased that there's some action this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I was stuck making ketchup for the first time today. I need something <laughs> to do. So, um, you know, I'm all for playing out seasons to, to finish this season behind closed doors. But it's a very, very short term solution because it's not the television as most of us watch football on television, it's not the same prospect sitting watching. You know, I wouldn't. I don't mind the odd game behind closed doors, but I don't think I could, it's something that I could take. You know, time after time after time. But I think you're right. I think the NFL. Every you've got to start looking at what are the different options. No suggestion too stupid. You know, they've talked about. You know, if you had social distancing in a stadium somewhere like Atlanta Stadium, you could still have twenty thousand people across it. Now it might look weird might sound okay you just don't know until you try these things i thought you were going to take that opportunity to have a dig i thought you were going to say not not again and learn how to do it (laughs) yeah you know i mean pumping noise into stadiums obviously atlanta is the place to go but um yeah i've done that done that gag so better not go there again (laughs) um okay right anything else that's tickling your fancy no, I just think, you know, we've seen six six jersey changes as I touched on with the guys. That's a lot for a year. I think most teams have hit them okay. But I'm just wondering if other teams are sitting back and watching this and trying to learn. You know, I think the message is possibly don't mess about with gimmicky stuff. I think, you know, the, the Rams numbers are going to be similar to the, the digit numbers that the Bucks had. They're going to be an albatross around their neck that they're not going to be able to get rid of for five years. So I think the next couple of teams that are up will be a little bit more cautious and careful and just deliver something that's unfussy that their fans will want to go out and buy. Yes, indeed. It looks like a Fortnite skin, but one of those crappy ones that uh, cost you 300 V-Bucks rather than anything else. It just is just, yeah, like a computer graphic. I'm, I'm really not a fan. Not a fan at no. all. Don't blame me at all. No, fine. Well, that's the Full Time Whistle then for episode 101. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland.
We're growing all the time. If you're new to us, thanks for joining us. We did that great giveaway last week. Lots of prizes given away. If you are one of the winners, well done on that. We appreciate every retweet and share that you give us. Love hearing your thoughts on what we've been discussing. We've got plenty more episodes coming up soon, so do stay tuned. But let us know if there's anything that you'd like us to cover or anyone that you'd like us to interview. Thank you to you and Colin for joining us. Thank you for listening and taking the time to share all your thoughts. We'll be back next week, but until then, bye for now.